0: Welcome to another episode of Persistence You with Lisbeth. And this week, I have my first ever repeat guest. Author Evelyn Latour is with us. And I may have just mispronounced your name. Did I just do that? Latour. Is it Latour? (laughs) Latour. (laughs) Darn it. Uh, Evelyn is with us again. She was with us a year ago when the podcast, well, not quite a year ago even, when the podcast first began talking about writing. Between Inca Walls, A Peace Corps Memoir. And today she's with the book she promised to speak to us about, Love in Any Language, A Memoir of Cross-Cultural Marriage. Both of those were published by She Writes Press. And I am so excited to have Evelyn back because she's delightful, but also she's got a terrific story about how she met her husband more than anything else, how they managed to stay married despite all of the odds, the naysayers, people who were just shaking their heads when she first married her husband. And now she's got the final chuckle as her second memoir is out and they've had a lifetime of love together. So welcome back, Evelyn. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I, I love being interviewed by
1: you. And I I it's funny how you kind of, I just follow you, okay? All
0: your, news <laughs> your bad news and just, you know. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. You're such a good good company to have. So I'm very fortunate to have you. Now, please, you have a second memoir out already. I admire this so much. But for those who didn't listen to the first episode, which I can link to in show notes, let us know how it was that you met your husband and wrote that first book about that connection. And, you know, we'll just
1: talk. We'll go from there. Well, I seem to have an affinity for Latin American cultures and Latin American guys. <laughs> uh, but I grew up in Montana and then sure. I came to California at age 16. And before that, I, I didn't know other groups uh, existed. So, I mean, I guess I knew they existed, but I, in Montana, it was just very, uh, just one, one culture and one ethnicity. So I ended up, spending a summer in Mexico. And then the next step was to join the Peace Corps, which had just started. I joined in 64 and the Peace Corps was started in 1961. And um, I was stationed up in the mountains in the Andes near Cusco. And the man who had asked for volunteers to work with the food for peace program and to work in a kindergarten ended up being my, father-in-law. So I nice. know he had a son our age. In fact, when he, I met him in Cusco and, and I was stationed in Amankai, which is eight hours away from Cusco. And I, I saw Adolfo was my father-in-law's name. And I saw him there one day and I said, what are you doing in Cusco? And he says, oh, I'm here to pick up my college age son. And, we, and I said, well, how old is he? And he said he was 19. Well, I was 21. So I thought, Oh, he's too young for me. <laughs> it turned out he was my same age. Is it, it's it, his <laughs> stepfather, and his stepfather really didn't know how old he was. Uh, but it was it was an attraction right away. He was very handsome, which which helped. And then he turned out to be a really nice guy. And I have to say, this happened to a number of Peace Corps people where they fell in love with natives. And about a little less than a third, I'd say twenty five percent of my group of Let's see, we had 72 people that ended up being able to go to Peru, uh, ended up marrying natives. Now, they didn't. What? They didn't. I mean, it's a large percentage. The guys tended to stay married. The women, well, no, there's one woman that did. They didn't all stay married. And just like there were American couples, there were several American couples, three, I think, that were part of our group. They all divorced when they got back. So- Going to another country and living in it changes you, I think. Right. And for me, I can't tell you exactly why it happened, but uh, it's not a secret because th- it's on the back of my f- first book that it says that I got pregnant. And and then that, because I was on my way out of the country. I was definitely leaving. I was going to travel. I had lots of plans, graduate school, all of that. And then I found out I was pregnant. And it, it happened just like, you know, a few weeks before I, I was due to leave the Peace Corps, so I could make right. that decision. But it was quite traumatic. I didn't realize until I read my journals about that time how traumatic it was and what the Peace Corps said and what what happened. But anyway, the second book begins where I'm in Peru and the wedding has just happened. And the reason I wrote the second book, and especially the reason it came out a year after the first book, is that, I was writing, and I don't know, you might realize this. When you're writing, you really get into it. At least I did. And I had written many more words than, you know, many more chapters than could be in the book, because with a first book, you don't want it to be more than 85,000 words. And I'd written two chapters. And I said to my developmental editor, I said, well, what do I do with these two chapters? And I thought, well, I'll just keep writing. So I just kept writing after the wedding. I just kept writing and writing and writing. And, it, and I loved it because I could spend like eight hours immersed in this world, remembering the past. Wow. I don't know if you went through this with a memoir, but I think sometimes you have to be a certain age before your past makes sense. And certainly writing a memoir is is one way to make sense of your past life. Sure.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, it isn't pleasant for all of us. So depending on what you're, (laughs) you know, you looking back over the beginning of your relationship that became your marriage. And I can imagine getting pregnant when you were a Peace Corps volunteer and Catholic. I remember you saying, and, um, the generation, the time that it was in the Mm sixties, um, that had to be really difficult. And so I think it's great that now that you have that distance, you can look back and enjoy writing about that. I didn't always find writing memoir to be super enjoyable, Mm. but uh, that's because I was reflecting on our circumstances that were not that much fun, but uh, I love that you found that joy in doing this.
1: Well, I tend to just remember the joyful part. Like you, there were definitely times when I didn't want to continue writing, but I was looking for the answer for why would a girl that was raised Catholic, I went to Catholic college, I went to Catholic high school, uh, how could it be that she becomes pregnant without being married? And it, it was a fortuitous thing for me, I think, because um, my husband to be had no occupation he hadn't finished college he had no money i mean it really wasn't the wisest thing to do and i knew that but i did just dis- i don't think i knew what love was i think that's part of it i just i was going to go my merry way the way i always did and then he uh, called me and luckily the phone lines were were working what i didn't do is tell my parents about it I had intimated that there was this young man, and I was asking them to see if they could find a job for him. Ironically, and I don't think it's any secret in the book, that his biological father already lived in Ohio. And while we were together, we tried every which way to make it possible for him to come to the United States without us marrying And then, like I said, this lucky accident, and it didn't work. His father said he had to know English. He had to have a skill. He had to have a job before he'd bring him up. His father never did marry, never had any other children. And when he passed away, um, and this you can read about too, so um, he did leave him some money. And ironically, he bought a house in Cusco that he then uh, had his mother and her husband, Adolfo, the stepfather, live in until they passed away, which I thought was very ironic that here the man who deserted her left her in Peru when she was pregnant with my husband, and he came to the United States, and there was a plan that she was supposed to come with him, but that never happened. He lived in the United States for many, many years And my husband never did meet his, again, his biological father, but then he took the money that he inherited totally. We, we didn't even realize he had any money, um, and bought a house for the woman that for his mother, that the, his father had deserted.
0: So that's beautiful. Good. That sounds as it should be. Now you two got married when, what year was it that you got married?
1: 1966. Oh my. And, and you know, being a Catholic, uh, birth control was out of the question. And I don't even remember hearing much about birth control except that it was a big sin. There might've been other women my age who had birth control pills, but all I knew was about the rhythm method. I started to say, I didn't tell my parents, I wrote a letter, but it took three weeks for letters to get to the United States. So I said, by the time you get this letter, I will have been married to Antonio Latore, And my father hit the ceiling. He said, oh, that guy is just after a green card and, and all that. But ironically, uh, two of the four sisters, I have three sisters, and then I have two brothers. And my brother and two of the sisters have gone through very difficult divorces. And uh, my marriage has stayed intact. So my parents needn't have worried.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's so interesting because I would say marriage, of course, is a very challenging institution. And certainly cross-cultural marriages can be really unusually, uniquely challenging. Mm -hmm. And so how incredible that you managed to make that not just work because you got married, but it's a relationship that you clearly enjoy. I remember last time you and I spoke I ask you, and maybe you can answer it again. About when did you know this was really going to stick, and that he was the one?
1: Well, and I think I told you probably after we'd been married for forty some years. Because <laughs> I, I mean, it's so true. Marriages go up and down, and and, right. and ours did too. And my husband husband wasn't just Peruvian; he very much identified with the indigenous. Uh, wow. Most of Peru is from indigenous, uh, descending from the Incas. And I think that's actually a very good thing because his values were a lot like mine. I grew up in a rural area and I often think that it's our values that have held us together. Um, He's not really materialistic, even though the first several years that he was with me in the United States, uh, he couldn't get a job. I mean, he had to finish his education and it it was not easy, Uh, but then he didn't spend a lot of money either. Right, and I think the biggest thing for a long term marriage is that you the values are very important, and then respect. I, for the first many years, and and I don't know if other people see that, but I think when I wrote about it, I this is what I realized. I didn't realize it until I wrote the second book how I was trying to turn him into a typical American. Oh. I married him because he wasn't typically American. He wasn't materialistic. He wasn't a striver, you know, who was going to go to the top. But for some reason, the change in cultures, when we got to the United States, we both started striving for, you know, more and more, not so much uh, material things, but for um, for uh, education. And that was another value we had that was in common. I was going to say something about coming out with a second book right after the first book. Um, that was difficult because as you know, when you write a book, you're expected to do some publicizing of it. So here I was, I had just published in August of 2020, and I was in the process of finishing the manuscript and agreeing on the title and all the things you have to do for the second book. And my editor quit on me. I had a very, very good developmental editor. And she, I was, my, the deadlines were coming too fast for her to be able to, to, to comply with. So I used other She Writes Press authors and they read the last third of my book and helped me perfect it or, you know, get it in better shape. So there was a, there's a danger with coming out with one right after the other. Now, uh, but, but the, on the other hand, people kept asking me after the first one, well, what happened after the wedding? They wanted to know what happened after the wedding. I thought, well, I'll tell them what happened after the wedding it wasn't as much you know It there wasn't as much love it was it was hardship and then we had two right. children you know uh you know we had our first child you know seven seven months after we got married and right now and, uh, and anyway that is and my mother wasn't too happy i couldn't tell my mother i was pregnant So she figured it out soon. I bet. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, I tend to gain weight easily. (laughs) And when I got back to the States, I made up, I was eating all kinds of food that I hadn't had when I was in Peru. Sure. And so gaining weight, I mean, I guess people weren't that surprised. Another thing I was going to mention is I I didn't realize it until I wrote the book. And I keep all kinds of stuff like employment records and things like that. I don't know why I've carried them to seven different houses. I don't know why I kept these things, but it was great that I did because I looked at the timelines. I had a job within a month. No, within two weeks after I got back from terrific. And that helped us a lot because then we could afford our own apartment apartment. I bought a car. I mean, my husband wanted to help pick out the car and he wrote to me and he said, well, we'll do it when I get up there. But I had to have a car. He didn't realize you have, you
0: can't get by bus every place. Right. Right. He was used to a place where you had public transport take you everywhere. So, so you had the two kids. Now, what are they thinking now that they're grown? I mean, they're well-grown. Mm-hmm. What are what did they think when you first started to write with the intent to publish?
1: I don't know that they paid any attention. And my feelings are a little bit hurt because um, I got the second one to read uh, Love in Any Language asking him to look for mistakes. So I don't know how much of the content he absorbed, but there's a lot about them in the book. The younger one has helped. Uh, I, th- I think they're both proud of the fact, but we, you know what they say? Well, we don't have to read the book because we lived it. And my siblings say the same thing. Now, they, my siblings, uh, some of them have read it. My, I have one brother who is married to a, a lovely Mexican woman in Jalapa. He's a professor at the university there. And, um, and he he speaks Spanish. So I had him go over both books with a fine tooth comb and he was very helpful, but I never know how much of the content, cause they don't tell me, I get no feedback from anybody in my family or from my kids. So
0: that's okay. Then that's okay. I mean, it's, it's your story, but on the other hand, I think if you could imagine being in their shoes and this is hard, but if you could imagine being in their shoes, it would be awkward. Well, yes. Your, your take is unique and you know, no one wants to say, I didn't see it that way, or I didn't, I don't remember it like that or whatever. So, you know, then they can either do that or say, oh, it's just perfect. Or they can disagree, you know, so it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable dynamic, I think for family.
1: I have a son who's about to turn 55 and another one who's 50. And when I think of when I was that age, what I Was I interested in my parents' lives? I kind of was, but not to the extent that I probed or was curious about how they met. I mean, I already kind of knew that. So I often think if they had come out with memoirs, uh, I probably would have had a similar attitude that, you know, I've known them all my life. I love them, not reading what they write or, you know, being that interested in their lives doesn't mean a lot doesn't mean that I don't care about them. So.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what would you tell other authors other aspiring authors, in fact, about, I I think there's a lot of thought that, Hey, if I don't publish by 30 by 40, by whatever age that I may as well give up, it's too late for you. I used to dream. I hear this a lot. I used to dream of being a writer. What would you tell someone like that? Well, for a memoir of
1: the kind that I wrote, I think I had to be in my 70s before I really wanted to do a lot of reflection. And with a memoir, you have to reflect back. Uh, things I wrote up until that point uh, were just anecdotal, you know, like I did this and then I did that. I'll give you an example. The Next book that I'm just starting, I'm about six chapters into, is about a trip that I took my 14-year-old and my 18-year-old sons on to Europe. We spent two months in Europe in 1985. And that was, it's alluded to in the second book, but I had to really summarize it. Um, I, I, I would have normally just said, well, this is what we saw. Now, being older, I reflect on what it meant. Now what I ask my kids what did it mean for you they they can't tell me I mean they can remember that we went and my younger one especially said he he thinks that's where he got the wanderlust because he's been to Europe and lived in Europe and and things but but it isn't like they remember or can reflect upon the meaning of it whereas being older I can so what I'm hoping is that people who are older your your earlier life means more you can make more sense out of it the second book this question i had as i wrote it was how can how, how does how is my marriage you know stayed and mm. and i've come up with some answers i mean i i examine other marriages i'll give you an example uh the marriage other people that i know that were married to latin americans if they lived for a period of time in Latin America, those marriages tended to stay intact. Uh, the when people that came up to the United States, they their marriages did not last. And uh, mine very well almost ended. There, there is a, a about two thirds of the way, maybe half of the way through the book, you'll see it was very, very serious. And it wasn't because we didn't love each other. It's, it's all the things that happen around the couple. And then mm-hmm. partly it's who they are. And and I've I've really gained a lot of respect not only for my husband but for his culture and and where he's come from, and and I quit trying to change him a long time ago.
0: <laughs> so, do you think that living in in the other country and the success of those marriages is because a person had empathy they they could put themselves in their partner's shoes because they'd actually lived sort of in their shoes for a little while? Hmm. That's very perceptive.
1: Um, first of all, they were kind of people that appreciated the culture to begin with and very much must have loved their spouses in order to live there. One woman that I went to Mexico with in 1963, married a doctor down there and she just passed away a couple of years ago. But, um, one of the things I see is they didn't get the kind of education we got and making a living was much harder. Financially things were harder. But they had bigger support systems, family, and the values were having fun and and you know, fiestas all the time, food and music and things like that, at least in the Latin American culture. And even when we would go down to visit, I just loved being immersed in that, yeah. where you 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 know get the food that you've wanted that I didn't learn how to cook very well. And um and and the val- whole value system, and then divorce isn't as common in those countries. I, I don't. I, I hesitate to analyze why. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say it's looked down upon, but to survive for a, a single woman in in uh, any con- any of those countries, I think would have been much harder. In the United States, you know, I've been independent since I was thirteen, practically, and knew how to get jobs and how to survive and things like that. I did have the opportunity at one time to go down to Peru and and live there. We that we could have done that. And I don't think I would have done as well. Either of us would have done as well materially. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, we might have done better.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So where can people find a link that has your information. Do you have a website or how would people connect with you and figure out how to get your books? Yeah, um,
1: you can go to uh, www.evelynlottori.com and there will be various ways. Uh, You can order them through uh, Barnes and Noble or um, Amazon. But we really are pushing, uh, especially during the pandemic, for people to buy their books on, um, from independent bookstores. That's who will do my book launches. They support me. And, um, and that there's a link there, uh, Indie something or other Indie bound, I think it is. And that if people click on that, it'll tell them what store near them they can get, get the book. And I love it. Interesting. Some people have read the first book and then they go to the second one. Many people are reading the second book and that, then they're going back to the first book. So in they stand alone. The two books pretty much stand alone. Very different books, but about the same person.
0: The first one is really the Peace Corps experience also. And the next one seems like that next chapter after the Peace Corps and marriage and all of Interesting that.
1: Interesting that you would mention the Peace Corps experience because I just won an award that really means a lot to me. It is from Worldwide uh, Peace Corps Worldwide, and it's a group of other authors. There have been like seven or eight hundred Peace Corps books written. And just during the pandemic, 63 of them came out and they gave mine this really great award, the 2021 Moritz Thompson Award. And he was an excellent writer. Uh, That is so exciting. Yeah, it was. I just really felt proud of that, that they would give me that award. So
0: Absolutely. Now, what does your husband think, by the way? He loves that I love
1: to write. He (laughs) occasionally because I will print things out on one page, and then we use the other side for uh, you know scraps. Sometimes he he will turn it over and he'll read something that I've read, and his comment is, "Oh, you're getting much better." (laughs) Oh, so but I don't expect him. He is a physics and math major and loves formulas. Right now, he is trying to become very fluent in Quechua, the indigenous language of Peru. Oh my! And, okay. Uh, he loves learning languages. We've lived in Italy for a year. We both became fluent in, in Italian. I have I have experienced so much more with him than I think I would have had I not gone to another culture. Uh, wow. That it's it's been wonderful, really. He's really out. There. That's love just
0: it. lovely. That really is. I I enjoy the picture. I think the two of you were dancing in one of your pictures that you sent me that I put in show notes for the last time. I just love that. It looks like you had a beautiful adventure. You're exceptional. He did not want
1: any pictures of him in my books. I had to change his name. And um, but I have put a few pictures of him during our travels. We have traveled to 100 over 100 countries now and he's been traveling a lot. And um, so there are pictures of him on my website. Oh, that's fantastic.
0: He allows you to do it now. That's
1: good. I don't even know if he knows because he doesn't go to my website either anymore. Well,
0: your secret is safe with me and and the listeners. (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Evelyn. I really appreciate it and applaud not only your grit to stay married and love it so much, which is something that truly is not my skill set, but also to to write two books after 70, right? Both oh, yeah, books after 70. I'm so wow, that's so great. And you've got another one in the hatch. So fantastic. I think that's also a wonderful tribute to just being this driver. and uh, And I hope other people realize it as long as we're here. As long as we're on this earth, there's a, if we've got a goal, a dream, whatever, it's not too late. Yeah. It, is, it only is if we tell ourselves it is. Yeah. Otherwise, we can still do so many of the things. I mean, I might not ever be, you know, a supermodel. Let's just say, but that was really never in the goal anyway. So <laughs> that might be too late. But I'm just
1: you, saying, you grab the opportunities as you find them and see. Them, sure. Like being a podcaster.
0: I mean, right. takes grit and you keep your mind moving forward, Mm -hmm. try new skills, be, be willing to fail at new skills Mm -hmm. and to laugh at yourself. But you know how incredible that you've done this and in a short period of time, that's a lot of work. So huge congratulations and on the book award. Oh, thank you. You bet. You have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week.
1: Proud member of the Podnooga Network.